Welcome to Above the Noise, a podcast at the intersection of faith, race, and reconciliation. And I'm your host, Grant Lee Martelli. After the last episode of the Love Your Neighbor test, I received many questions, some solicited and some random. Comments range from, Aren't you just preaching to the choir? Is this directed to Christians or people in general, or is it directed to people of faith? One asks, how could clergy use this personally or in their churches? Variety of questions. In this episode, I plan to answer some of these questions and also to introduce some more content on this topic of the Love Your Neighbor test. Let me begin by stating that above the noise is not a podcast specifically directed to Christians. It is not a Christian podcast. It is a podcast directed to people of faith, encouraging people of faith to have conversations with their neighbors, whether they be people of faith or not people of faith, and to have those conversations on the topic of race, faith, leading eventually to possibly reconciliation and at least some sort of semblance of being good neighbors towards each other. I do this because I believe most faiths have similarities, especially in the non-doctrinal beliefs and development of communal expectations. Even though we tend to focus on our differences, most people of faith have similar moral and ethical beliefs. Most faiths have expectations on how we treat each other within the group and within people in general. I do not believe that the love your neighbor ethic is unique to Christianity, especially evangelical Christianity, because other faiths have similar beliefs as well. To this end, I have a variety of guests on this podcast, ranging from many faith traditions, in order to try to demonstrate that we, despite of our differences, can find common ground. Now, when I use references from the Bible, I use them not because of my, just because of my connection to the Bible. I use them because many of the biblical texts have become now universal and known to people who may not claim a Christian faith. The Bible is the most universally identifiable and widely quoted text ever known to humankind. I was recently in a room with a Muslim person of faith. And I began quoting the 23rd Psalm, and that person was able to quote much of that Psalm, much to my surprise, and some of the people who claimed to be of the Christian faith could not even keep up with her. Other universal truths are that all people deserve to be treated as human beings and want to be treated kindly, with dignity, and with respect. Most people, regardless of their faith, origin, or language, or lifestyle, want to be safe, to live, and to thrive, and to achieve their full potential. We all want safe food to eat and clean water to drink, to love our children and want the best for them. No person in their right mind wants to be humiliated or mistreated, beaten or devalued, enslaved, branded, or killed simply because of who they are. We all hurt the same, we bleed the same, 
and we want peaceful coexistence. Therefore, the love your neighbor test applies to a broad audience, while at the same time is directed to people of faith. It is directed to people of faith because people of faith should live their lives at a higher standard than the general population and should set the example of how to live in peace and unity with our neighbors. Now to the question of am I preaching to the choir? My response to this person was simply this. When we say am I preaching to the choir, we're assuming that the choir is all singing the same tune, that they know what the song is, and that they know when it begins. In this case, the person was assuming that the episode was directed to Christian community. I'm quite sure that based on the evidence in the world as we know it today, not all the choir members are singing the same tune. And it's obvious that some don't even know what song we're singing. We have segregated neighborhoods, segregated schools, and segregated houses of worship, segregated faiths. We have developed a false theology that separate and equal exists. It doesn't take long to see that whenever people are segregated for any period of time, hostilities begin to develop and false narratives develop as well. And when they are nurtured, without doubt, one group begins to see themselves as better than the other. The less than theology begins to develop. Stereotypes develop. Broad generalities based on inaccurate information begin to thrive and begin to prosper. And then hatred begins to show its ugly face. In my opinion, and sad to say, Christianity does not have any stronger record in how we love our neighbor as ourselves than many of the other faith traditions. We're all struggling. We've all struggled all along. Islam has its struggles. Hinduism has its struggles. Judaism has its share of issues with who is my neighbor and how to treat my neighbor. None of us are exempt because this condition is a human condition. How we treat each other depends on our humanity. And even though our faith comes into that, our humanity is still who we are and our faith should shape our humanity. Sometimes when I make statements like these, people get worked up and say that's not fair because some of us are really trying hard to love our neighbors as ourselves and we're trying to do it the best we can. Now that is true and I don't mean to belittle that. There's no doubt that there are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people living out our faith in strong and exemplary manner every day. We need to continue that and to bring others along on the journey. However, the overwhelming evidence of the institutions of faith, to which many of us belong and subscribe at this time, and historically do not have convincing records of our neighborliness. Yet there are pockets within each group that are leading by example. And many of those leaders will tell you that it's not easy, and sometimes it feels like pushing a boulder up a hill. I commend these faith leaders and I commend you if you are working every day to live a life that exemplifies loving your neighbor as yourself. However, we have a long history to overcome. That history, not only of extremism, but it's also a history of institutional systems 
that undermine the progress of those striving to be good examples. And we must come alongside and look at those things honestly and try to change them to see if we can remove some of those institutional barriers and some of those extremist views so that we can come up with a more reasonable way of living and being a good neighbor and loving our neighbor as ourselves. The devastation of the coronavirus created many opportunities for us to score some points on the love your neighbor as yourself test. We saw people begin to look past differences and see everyone as affected and that the systems in place were not able to cope with the potential calamity that was ahead. People began to band together to support one another. We expanded our definition of who were frontline workers to not only just include doctors and nurses and respiratory therapists, but also to include housekeepers and technicians, taxi drivers, emergency medical technicians, bus drivers, train operators, restaurant workers. All these became people that were essential, many of them overlooked. We came to realize that seasonal workers who harvest the food that we eat every day are critical and important workers. What a startling revelation that those who work so hard every day and make such a large contribution to our modern world are often overlooked. And too many of them are invisible and some feel unwanted because of the things that are said about them and the way they are treated when they are a valuable piece of the fabric of our community. Hopefully the coronavirus pandemic cause us to reshape our definition of who is our neighbor and how do I love my neighbor as myself. In the building where my office is located, the custodian who barely speaks English has become one of the most important people in the entire high-rise office complex because he goes around and makes sure that everything is disinfected, things are wiped down, they're clean so that the virus doesn't spread. And we need to stop and say good morning to him. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Because in many ways, he is our neighbor. And to love him as ourself shows that we care for him because he is doing one of the essential services that will save some of our lives. Part of our struggle to get it right is the struggle between faith and culture. In an ideal situation, faith would be the guide and the glue that holds culture together. In this scenario, faith is influencing the culture and transforming it into a just and welcoming culture. However, what happens too many times is that faith begins to conform to the culture to avoid conflict. And once this begins to happen, culture takes the lead and faith begins to follow, resulting in a watered-down faith that fits the culture and basically becomes a tradition. Hence, faith in that situation loses its ability to be transformational within the community. If we couple this with when people become segregated and develop a faith tradition that is now isolated or isolationist and is duplicit in that segregation, faith tradition then becomes an instrument that rather than leading the community out of segregation, begins to embrace that separation. Pretty soon, it becomes a survival mentality for many people that we need our faith to match our culture. Otherwise, we won't survive. We have to protect 
our culture so that we can survive. That is a completely unbiblical philosophy, and we can get into that at another time. Now, since I'm more comfortable using examples for Christianity, and at the expense of other people jumping to conclusions again that this is a Christian episode, I use the biblical example because that is what I am familiar with. And as I said before, many people are familiar with the passages and and stories and illustrations in the Bible. So to me, it's a ubiquitous text. Jesus and the disciples were going to Jerusalem. Sometimes to get to Jerusalem, most of the Jews went around Samaria. Because to them, the Samaritans were an unclean people. They were people that many of them despised. They used the word dogs to to represent Samaritans because their faith traditions had strayed and they had become so isolationist that the Samaritans and the Jews, even though they came from a common ancestor, now see themselves as opposites. So Jesus got tired of this hostility and he got tired of trying to to conform to this cultural tradition when he was trying to teach the disciples that this is not who they are, that they have to have a different life. So on this one trip, he says, we are going through Samaria. We're not going around Samaria. I'm going to take you through the problem right into the situation that you're trying to avoid. And we are going to face these people and we're going to see them in a different light. So he was no longer buying into the cultural conflict where faith had become a tool of separation. So he took the disciples to Samaria and he stopped at a well to get some water and the disciples went on to buy food. As he was sitting there, a woman came by in the middle of the day and he asked the woman to give him a drink. Now to us in the Western culture, we may want to skip over that and not realize the huge cultural conflict that was going on here. First of all, he was going he was in Samaria, a place that most temple worthy Jews would avoid. People of faith, strong faith would have avoided. Secondly, he began to speak to a woman, a woman who was a Samaritan. And both of these broke cultural traditions. First of all, she was a despised woman by the people of his of of his faith. He was speaking to a woman directly. They were doing it in the middle of the day when there was no one else around. And this was a woman who did not have a very good reputation. Everyone looked down on her. So what Jesus was doing was breaking multiple barriers at this very same time. He didn't look down on her. He treated her with respect and with dignity. And they began to have a conversation. In the middle of the day at the well, he asked her for some water to drink. So that began the conversation. And she recognized that he was not a Samaritan. He recognized that she was not of the Hebrew faith. He looked past her differences and began to lift her up. Now she began to to strive on the differences and says, this is who we are, this is where we worship. You guys worship over here and our faith do not coincide. And Jesus said, I understand that, but one of these days 
it will coincide because my father is not looking for the same answers that you are looking for and that my disciples are looking for and the people of my heritage are looking for. He's looking for different type of answers, a different type of worshiper, a different type of person of faith. So in spite of her lifestyle, Jesus gave her hope. He knew who she was. He explained to her things about her that no one else knew, but he did it in a way that it did not tear her down, that it lifted him, lifted her up. He was loving his neighbor as himself and demonstrating to us what the power of loving your neighbor as yourself can do. It can lift people up. It can give them dignity. It can show respect, even if they may not be of whatever we consider it is that is not the same as us, we can still give people dignity and respect. We can do it around a conversation. We can do it around a meal. We can do it around a simple cup of water. But we do it in a way that brings value to the person. And because of that, in spite of it, hope was brought into the conversation and that hope led to transformation. Transformation that not only helped her, but it helped heal her entire community. And that is the power of being a good neighbor. That is the power of loving our neighbor as ourselves. It not only helps us, it not only helps that neighbor, it begins to spread, it begins to spread in the entire community because people see it, they hear about it, they see the transformation that's taking place. They see the relationship that is developing. They see the dignity and the power of respect and hope that comes into these situations. And pretty soon our differences fade into the background. And what makes us into people becomes more prevalent. Jesus was teaching us that faith must bring healing and be big enough to embrace others, to welcome them into our community, to give them a place of prominence, to give them a seat at the table, and to hear their story. He listened to her story. She listened to his story. And there began a transformation. So that when the disciples returned, they immediately noticed that something was different on his side. And when she went back to the village, the people in her village immediately noticed that something was different on her side. And because of that, now two sets of people experienced transformation, experienced hope, experienced the the miracle of loving your neighbor as ourselves. And the fruit of that is a better community, a better people, a stronger nation, and a stronger faith. Thanks for listening. Share your thoughts with us by email at abovethenoise24 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at abovethenoise24. We're also on Instagram. You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or at your favorite podcast hosting site. And share this episode with a friend and maybe they can become a listener as well.